0: This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker.
1: Hey everyone. One of my good friends knows our next guest really well and has always talked fondly of her. So when I met her briefly, I asked her if she would be interested in having a conversation for the podcast, and I was so glad that she said yes. She's one of those people that you just love to spend time with. She has a real wisdom accumulated over many, many years of serving Jesus that was just great to be able to tap into. I love chatting with her about evangelism and how she is spending her retirement years. Okay, well Sue, welcome to the Lydia Project. Thank you for agreeing to be interviewed, even though it might not be your favourite activity in the world. Exactly. <laughs> so I want to start by asking
2: how you came to faith in Christ. I actually came to faith through teenage confirmation class. Oh, me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> tell me your story, because <laughs> that's not usual. People usually a friend has encouraged them. I come from a non-Christian home, but the church where we lived was basically across a paddock. So my mother used to let me go to Sunday school. So. Of could see me walk across the paddock you know she would watch okay I'm there safe she would watch me come home okay I'm home safe and so I went to Sunday school maybe from the age of 10 and just kept going to Sunday school which kind of progressively led to confirmation class you know do you want to be confirmed and it was a very good bible teaching church in western Sydney and the minister at the time is the one who took the confirmation class and my background probably is I like information and I was probably a good girl so that if someone said well this is what you should do that's what I did because it was right and so when I found out through the confirmation class that God was in control of the whole world that he wanted a relationship with me that kind of all made sense because yeah there's a world out there I can't make sense of the world at 15 and if there's a God who's in control of it and he wants to relate to me why wouldn't I relate to him and of course then through confirmation class we were then told about the part that Jesus has to play in that bringing us into relationship with God and of course if I wanted a relationship with God, the way to get that relationship was by believing and trusting in Jesus. So that all made sense, perfect sense to me. So that's when I became a Christian. And then, of course, confirmation a few weeks later, sort of confirming to me that this was a real step of faith. And then just continued in church life from then on and growth, of course, in Christian things and the realization that, yeah, while God wanted a relationship with me and it needed to be a perfect relationship, I wasn't perfect. So I have to keep coming back to the cross and confessing my sin and relating to God in a way that He wants through Jesus. Thank so. you, Sue. That's oh it's so lovely to hear. I completely relate. That is actually
1: really similar to my story, funnily enough. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I went to a confirmation class at an Anglican church and I wasn't a Christian and my family weren't Christian. And it was through the classes that I guess I actually am a bit like you. Like, it was just clear to me. It was quite logical and obvious. For me, I think the realization was more, oh, I'm out of a relationship with God. I think I'd believed in God and thought that I was in a good relationship with him because, you know, why wouldn't he love me? Yeah, I'm okay. Very conceited and <laughs> unaware of my sin. But, yeah, I really was confirmed. Confronted by my sin, reading through Mark's Gospel. That's what we did for our course. Yeah, when I understood that, and then of course that made sense of what Jesus did before, I'd never really understood why he had to die but then I got it It was all because of our sin and when I realized that he'd completely dealt with it and we could have that forgiven relationship with God that that was the moment for me too actually. Oh that's great
2: because this is the first time I've met anybody who I guess came to faith through a structured class as a teenager.
1: Yeah I mean it, it
2: took it being
1: a good church, I think, like a good Bible teaching church that wanted to use that opportunity. But then it was quite significant for me to stand there at that confirmation service. And I really meant those promises that I was taking on for myself because they were really significant for me. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Now, as I was listening to your testimony, it's such a lovely, clear and gospel highlighting testimony. And it makes me think that perhaps you've practiced it because, Sue, your husband is up here in Brisbane running the Everyday Evangelism course. And I know a large part of it is giving your testimony.
2: So when did he start that course? He wrote the course, well, the booklet that he uses in the course was produced in 1995. But he actually wrote that course while he was working at a church in the United States and he wrote it with other people. He was in charge of the evangelism aspect of the church and being an Australian coming into the American context, he wanted to see what they did. And they had one model of sharing faith. And so when he saw that model, it was a good church. It was evangelical. It was Bible teaching and outward focused. But when he saw that model he thought it doesn't really fit everybody and he wanted people to be freed up to be able to share their faith in their natural relationships and so he and a group of five or six others got together and and worked out what would they like to know so that they could share their faith easily with other people and that's how the course kind of started he has used that course in the various he's a minister an Anglican minister, uh, been in several different places. So he's used that course in his own churches and, and provided it for other people to be able to use in their churches. But now that he's in retirement, we are in retirement, he is free to do what, as he says, the things he loves the most. And that's no administration and a few other things that are that were not his pet loves in ministry. And he's free to you know, teach people about evangelism, why they should talk to their friends about faith. And yeah, so that's, I guess, how the course started. And now he feels he's come full circle, being able to use it again in encouraging people to be active and outward focused. That's so great that he gets to do that in retirement, that that's the part that
1: he loves and can still do it like it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So I know up here you're doing it over four weeks and doing it four different churches, three. Three, three three different churches. churches mm-hmm. which is great and obviously fitting in a little bit of kind of relaxing and touristing in the day I yes. mean, a little bit I actually did the course ages ago I'm doing it this time as a refresher <laughs> but I do love that it just is this lovely reminder that you know praying for your friends like really specifically and deliberately is just I, I love the encouragement to do that and also I find that it just helps me look at everybody with those eyes that oh this is someone that God loves and
2: I Hopefully there's an opportunity that I can just say something. I think the biggest thing maybe that people seem to get out of the course is what you said, going into your everyday world, deliberately serving Jesus and looking for opportunities. So you're not doing anything extra. You're not adding a whole lot of hours to your life. Mm. You know, you're talking to your neighbour. You're talking to your work colleague. You're talking to the student next to you. And when topics come up, you can give a Christian perspective and hopefully lead the conversation Mm. And what it does is it actually encourages you as well to talk about God in your everyday life. It's not just shelved for Sunday with your Christian friends or at your Bible study. And it helps to remind us that, you know, God is at work in the world. He wants us to be part of his work in the world and not to be afraid of it. The spirit is with us to encourage us and he lives in us. And so we can go into our daily world with that perspective. Mm. And I mean, I love it. It's not pressured. I think I've been reminded over the last couple of weeks that
1: I could such a blessing personally like when you do get to share a little bit or you do say I went to church yesterday when people ask you about your weekend it's positive and it's an encouragement to me as well Mm. that I'm Mm. sort of doing that and actually I love the way we started that last week of just asking if anyone had had any opportunities and just hearing two or three conversations it's great
2: isn't it It it's great yeah I think it's really good so how many times have you done the course (laughs) numerable Probably more so in... Stephen's been retired for four years and so probably he's he's done this for about three years. And I remember the first year I felt like I was just traipsing around after him because what was I going to do in retirement? Normally, my pastor been we're in a local church, fully involved in the local church, serving in the local church. My ministry has not been an upfront ministry. It's been a behind the scenes type thing. And so if he's going to be out and about doing all this, what am I going to do? And so we found that Second year of retirement, it's like, okay, God, this is where I am. So where do you want me to serve? I've been encouraged going with him because mostly it's been away from home. So we've been away from home four or five months of the year. So it's been a lot of fun meeting people, hearing their stories. Just what you said, hearing their stories is an encouragement and knowing that God is alive and well and active in the world. And so I'm encouraged by that. I'm just ministering to other people in asking them about their story in that way. That's great. It's been lovely to have you
1: here as well so i mean it would have been fine if it was just steve but having both of you it has been lovely so thank you for coming so okay well we'll now backtrack a little bit so you were a christian and growing and then obviously at some point you met steve
2: very young young. right okay (laughs) tell me the story just quickly same youth group yep at church the one where i was went through confirmation class it was a very Active church. There were probably 120 kids in the youth group and we would say probably seventy percent of them married each other, which was kind of crazy, because back in the day, you know, not a lot of social (laughs) no social media. (laughs) No social media. Yeah, so we married young. I was nineteen, Stephen was twenty-one. We were both living at home. I was doing secretarial work, admin, and Stephen was a draftsman. And then I mean, over time, he had decided that God wanted him to go into ministry, didn't know what it was. So he went to more college. And so then that was when we got married. Yep. We got married prior, prior to that. Yep and went straight into more college. So that was probably our first time living away from home, believe it or not. More college, training college for people who were going into Anglican ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the beginning. We had two children, one child towards the end of college mm-hmm. and then one child in each of the next parishes. Okay. And yeah. Yeah.
1: So that would have sort of consumed those early years
2: and early parishes. Absolutely. Yeah. I say to people, I think the fog of early childhood lifted after about 10 years. Yeah. You know, so then you go oh i am asleep. I had had a sleep oh you know i am alive yeah so i identify with people who you know those early three children under 5 years so you've had four kids three. or three three mm-hmm. kids yep under yep. 5 at one time at one time and so in the early
1: years well, well before you had kids as you were sort of deciding that steve would go to college was that something that you really felt was a team decision and a team thing or was it a bit different it was more okay that's
2: what you want to do and i'll support you it was the latter yeah i think Stephen had had an earlier, he felt like God wanted him to go into full-time ministry. Didn't know what that was. And he thought maybe missions work. And I guess I was the girlfriend at the time. I said, well, you need to know, I don't want to go into missions work. Meaning I didn't want to go overseas. Yeah. We, were, I was too young, mm-hmm. I think. And so then he thought, well, I mean, he did want to marry me. So that was nice. And so he went, okay, well, maybe God's Saying, I still feel full time ministry is something I want to do. Not that I stopped him from doing that, but I mean, that was totally his decision. So it was his decision, and I followed. My nature is probably a follower, not a leader. So it wasn't like I did it out of compunction or anything. I just, yeah,
1: mm. it just a,
2: became natural. It's a
1: funny role, though, being a minister's wife, isn't it? Because it is a role, and it's one that you don't necessarily grow up thinking, I want, well, some, some people do, you know, but it's not a role you can sort of choose for yourself independent of your <laughs> husband being in yeah, ministry. Yeah, and I
2: guess we were young and so we didn't know what that meant. And so we grew together in that role. And I have to say it was the 70s, that shows you how old I am, and so the 70s was very much, I think, women doing their own thing not that they're not now but it was in terms of convention so the role of the minister's wife I guess there was a whole movement in that decade to not be the typical minister's wife right so yeah so that was the context more so than previous decades because I feel that that's still now absolutely but maybe in the 50s and 60s it was more conventional that's right and so if you said what does a minister's wife look like everybody had a concept yeah But I think the 70s and 80s were the beginning of, well, she might work outside the home. You know, she might have other interests. Mm. Did you find that liberating for you? I don't think I thought about it. Okay. Yeah. It was just where we were. It's in in hindsight, looking back. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I've always said is, I'm just me, and I might be the same me in what Ever role so I was never militant or defensive it was just we were in ministry together and I was the support role and happy to be the support role so what does that look like then you work it through as you go along mm. and it probably looked different in different parishes depending on age of kids and needs
1: at the parish and absolutely yeah what kind of ministries as you look back um, have you
2: been involved in either formal or informal that you've really loved I think really loved two aspects small children and hospitality so always been lots of hospitality in the home and in the church so you would find me in the kitchen a lot but that way you got to meet and know a lot of people but there were other times when I was in upfront ministry leading Bible studies especially in the early stages some of those early stage relationships you know continued because we were all young mums together all doing Bible study together all in the same place at the same time for almost a decade. So they were pretty rich times. And then in women's ministry in another parish, Stephen stepped out of local parish ministry for a while and was in full-time evangelism and so but we went to a local church. So I was probably more in upfront leadership in that decade than in the decades when he was had the role of the person in charge so women's ministry organizing events and chairing events and yeah that kind of thing later years probably back into behind the scenes small children again in the in sunday school uh, crèche minding their children while their mums taught scripture so lots good for you <laughs> that's a good ministry <laughs> it was yeah i love to do that that yep. support yeah kind of ministry yeah, and yeah. lots of hospitality
1: yeah And what did you find, I guess, hardest about being a minister's wife, as you look back over all the different roles you've had?
2: Probably the amount of hours (laughs) for the minister it takes for any staff. It takes a lot of hours. And so therefore, a lot of nights out Mm. that were not part of... I was not out a lot of nights. So it's like, what time will you be home? that kind of thing. So that was probably the the hardest thing. But then again, I think God has wired me in a way that I adjust to situations. I might analyze it and go, I don't like that, but I definitely adjust to situations. So I haven't found it. I know there are some people who have found being the wife of a minister really difficult. I don't take things personally. God has wired me, which means I may not be as compassionate with others as I should be, but I don't take—I don't take up criticism because I sometimes don't realise it is criticism, and it goes over my head, and I think God has wired me that way, and so therefore I have—I think I've survived well. (laughs) That's great to hear. I mean, what a blessing! That's fantastic. Yeah Yeah. but
1: I can just as I hear you talk that ability to be able to be obviously in quite a different situation I mean I think all women have to face this a lot as life stages change often we do need to just go well this is where I'm at I need to make the most of the opportunities where I'm at and it might be looking after a sick parent or having lots of children or having no children. It's just you can't plan for what might be big in your life, I think, sometimes. Whereas for blokes, often what's big in their life is their job. And you sort of can plan for that, even though it obviously looks different at different stages. But, yeah, I think an ability to be flexible is...
2: uh, I say to people, I'm not flexible. And my husband would attest to the fact I'm not flexible, I'm adaptable. So it might be the first six months... You know, I'm still working it all out and a bit tense, but then then I adapt to the environment. So yeah, okay. so I think I'm still not. He, my husband is very spontaneous, and I am not. Okay. So. <laughs> I like it. That's a good good description of the differences. And so, do you feel now that you've
1: adapted to retirement? Yes,
2: after that first six okay. months. <laughs> um,
1: That's yeah. good that it only took six months. <laughs> it takes some people a lot longer, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know if you can even answer this question, but I'm pretty confident you can. As you look at women of different stages today, with all your experience in life and different ministry to different groups of women, what do you think are some of the key issues that women in different maybe stages of life today are facing?
2: I'm not sure, but I think one of the continuing ones in when you when you hear the data of the equality for men and women in in the social construct. That It's not really equal, and who still does most of the share of the household things, even though the woman is running fast? So I think that's the difference. I think women are running faster in the sense of all that they have to cover in their lives than probably previously. And they might... I mean, when I was a young mum and at home, we had the luxury of meeting with other women and just downloading and spending time and I don't know that a lot of women now have that same luxury. That's just an observation, it might not be true. Well, I agree. Because I think
1: even when I mean I guess I've seen I've seen the, the full time mum life that I lived and then some of my friends were also working part time and I think then as I got a bit older but also as time's moved on more and more women I think it's almost the norm you have a child and you're at least working part-time and I think even just one day a week time it completely changes that value of time and it's you don't have that luxury of just any time let's catch up any time and all times the same because we're just looking after our kids the whole time it's like okay no I'm working that day which means I've got to get
2: this done that day and yeah, so you're not sitting back just reading a book all day. One of my luxuries was once a month. <laughs> it just worked out that way. Close the blinds, sit on the couch, read a book, beginning to end. That was my luxury. And, I, you know, so I don't think people can do, you know, that's not part of life these days because every day, as you said, there is so many parts to it that have to be broken up and taken care of and dropped off here and you know transported there and yeah so i mean that's kind of, i mean that's mainly sort of
1: women with kids but i guess women who are working without kids as well or kids who've grown up and that seems to be across the board but what do you think about for christian women what do you think the challenges are in
2: that kind of busier lifestyle quiet time prayer time and one of the other things i think i valued especially in the last decade a friend of mine approached me no she wasn't a friend at the time uh, an acquaintance approached me and said, would you like to meet for prayer? And at first I thought, oh, do I? I mean, I had met with other women over the years, but at that point we had moved to a new place and I wasn't meeting with one-on-one with someone. And so I thought, yeah, I mean, I didn't know her very well. And that has been great. Over the decade, we had children in similar stages, young adult children. So that was a point of contact. And so meeting with her, maybe once every six weeks, And we lived probably an hour apart from each other. So we would meet, coffee shop, chat, download, pray, and then go back to our regular lives for another six weeks. So I think that's been helpful just, I mean, because you've got your daily prayer, which can slip by the wayside as well. And I know you can do that anywhere. You can do it in the car on the way to work. You know, you can do it in the shower. But some people can. (laughs) Some people need focus time, don't you think? Like some people can pray as they go for a walk, but... I get too distracted, right, visually. So, I think people are different, yeah. So, yeah. and I and I am more of a face-to-face person, so mm. I do like to meet with people face-to-face. I could call someone on the phone and do it, but I don't. That's just me. I love the face-to-face. Mm.
1: So, if women are sort of struggling with finding time, carving out time to have quiet times and I think you're right and just read their Bible regularly and, you know, what what tips have you got for them
2: or or encouragements to? I'm probably, even though I'm, as I said, my husband's spontaneous, I'm not really routine, but the routine of a weekly Bible study group, growth group, church-based group, whatever you want to call it, the regularity of that is a reminder <laughs> and is a concentrated time. And sure, it's hard to carve out that. For me, it was a nighttime group after work because the you know last 20 years I've probably been working. But that, I think is paramount it was for me because it's a great reminder sharing your faith with people and the christian faith is not an isolated faith it's a community faith god has made us to live in community and community with him and community with each other and so for me a weekly bible study group so if you can that's what i would encourage people to do because it you come home encouraged you go thinking so much to do at home (laughs) you know I've, I've left all the dishes in the sink you know this tomorrow's washing or you know I've got that report I need to hand in or but if you can go it is a great encouragement to be with other like-minded people whether it's a all-female group or whether it's a mixed group currently we're in a, a mixed group previously I was in an all-female group um, so you mentioned that you've been working during the days for the past 30 years or so what kind of work were you doing Always admin of one description or another, a lot in medical admin. So I worked for a couple of specialist doctors in different places. As my husband's moved around jobs, they've changed and uh, a GP practice and one occasion in admin at a uh, residential college for university students Okay. Um, when we were living in Melbourne. So yeah, Fun. so different places, different jobs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And did you and Steve retire at the same
2: time, was that...? I did because we moved location, only because when you're in parish ministry, in a lot of instances the house comes with the church, Mm. so when you retire (laughs) you need to relocate. And we were not planning to live in that same place, so yes, so my job would have been two hours away, so that would have been impossible, (laughs) even though I could have continued. Yeah. And was that ever hard not having your
1: own home for all those years that you could make your own? Or again, was that something that you were able to adapt to, that this is what it is?
2: Yeah, adapt, this is what it is. And I guess we never thought about, I never thought about that, owning your own home. Really, it was only in the later years that we had to go, oh, we don't own our own home. What will we do? When Stephen was not in parish ministry and he was in full-time evangelism, John Chapman, who was the person in charge of that, at the time really pushed the people who were working with him to look at buying their own home. And so we have to credit him with making that possible. And at the time, I may have been resistant but in the long term, it has stood us in good stead because then we were able to afford a house in retirement that we never would have been able to. So while we had a house, we weren't always living in it. It was when our children were late teenagers. that, And so they lived in it when we moved to another location. Well, lucky kids. <laughs> yeah, which was an advantage. And yeah. then we sold that, bought a small apartment where Stephen, where we were, were at the time, lived in that. God, in his long-term plan, increased the sh- the market so much, like 40%, that we were then able to buy a home for retirement that we never would have. So God knew what he was doing, even if I was slightly resistant at the time. <laughs> and thanks, Chapo. That, yeah, yes. that is nice. <laughs> That's happened. Um, well, just to finish off then, Sue,
1: are you reading anything or listening to anything or being encouraged
2: by anything specific at the moment that you want to share with us? Well, this morning, definitely the Lydia Project. (laughs) I listened to one of the podcasts and was very encouraged by that. So I will continue to do that. So thank you for introducing me to that. You are welcome. Uh, The last two categories, I guess, Christian book I read was about the, the working life of someone who in MAF, Missionary Aviation Fellowship. So the story through the years of the expansion of that ministry into new guinea and northern australia was an encouragement so a book called can you remember i don't remember That's that. the name okay. of the book the author is ron watts who is a friend of ours and it's in its kind of a biography of his time with MAF. I was going to look it up before... It's okay. We'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was an encouragement. So uh, in terms of Christian doctrine books, I haven't read too many in the last little while. And the other book I've been reading is a just a novel. If you want a bit of downtime fun, look up... What's his name? Oh, I can't think of it. I'm reading a book about the body. And so it's a factual science book, but it's also... The, the author starts off by accepting the viewpoint of evolution. And so it made me angry at the beginning, but by the, at the end of the book he says, well, that's the body. He talks about all the various aspects of the body, medically and scientifically. And at the end he says, well, it's all gonna be gone anyway. And even though it wasn't a, a Christian book, it was like, yeah, well, that's what the world thinks, that just a matter of chance. At the end of it, it's all over with anyway, so don't get too stressed about it. Whereas it made me realise that God has another plan for us. He's got an eternal plan for us.
1: Yeah, interesting. Oh, there you go. And what what keeps you going as a Christian? You've been a Christian for decades, Sue. What keeps you standing firm in Christ?
2: I think going back to the confirmation, (laughs) information that God is in control of it all. He has a plan. It's a verse in Psalms that says, be still and know that I am God. So over the years, that's been, that's been my verse because no matter what's happening in your life, what's going on, what will be, God is in control. And and it doesn't matter how fast we run, what we do, we can't change the long-term plan of God, nor is there any need to because he's already made a plan and it's through Jesus. And so we have a uh, confirmation of eternal life with him because of our, our trust in him. And what keeps me going, I have to say again, it's that weekly Bible study group, you know, because that is a reminder that we're not alone. We're in community and God has a plan for us. Thank you so much, Sue. It's been lovely chatting with you.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Special thanks goes to our platform host, The Gospel Coalition Australia. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.